morning, I'd like to begin by talking about the gospel message itself. I want you to think about if I asked you, just called you out here this morning in church, said, share the gospel message with me. What would you include about the gospel message? What are some parts? Don't shout them out, but just think within yourself. What would you include about the gospel? What is the gospel? Hopefully, you wouldn't have too much difficulty articulating it. It is actually not that difficult. It's actually rather simple that we are sinners and that we have sinned against a holy God. And he is a just God, and he can by no way clear the guilty. That justice must be served. And yet, we're guilty. And justice would mean the wrath of God coming upon us. That as we're storing up that wrath, that we would have to pay that penalty. The gospel, which means the good news, is that God sent a way for that to be dealt with. That Christ can come and be the just and justifier of our faith. That he can come and give himself as a sacrifice in our place. That he would pay the penalty for our sins. That we who trust in him alone shall be forgiven of our sins. That he's paid the debt. That's the gospel. That's good news. It's actually rather simple in a, in a statement to get out. It, it, it's, you know, there's forgiveness. There, there's hell escaped. There's enjoying God forever. There's some key components of this. And it's all received by faith. And faith's a key component here. And we often hear the word faith used in all different kinds of contexts. Someone might say, I have faith that I'm going to nail my performance tonight. What do they use? What do they mean by that use of the word faith? Or, or you might hear someone else say, "You just need to believe that it'll be okay. You just need to have faith." How, how are they using that word faith? And we hear it all the time. You you could turn on the TV and hear an interview or somebody, and they say, "You just got to believe. You just got to have faith. You got to have faith in yourself." They would say. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. So what type of faith are they talking about? They're talking about like the, the psychological term of, of positive thoughts, you know, positive thinking. You ever heard someone say, just think positively? Church, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not just having positive thoughts. It's not the same as biblical faith. Thinking positive is putting trust into yourself, that if I just think positively, things will be Okay. Biblical faith is putting trust in Christ alone, having faith in him alone. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that mean? It means that it's not just wishful thinking. I have a confidence of these things, that when I put my faith in Christ all will happen according to exactly how he said it would happen. There's confidence in that. I'm not wishful thinking. I'm not just hoping it happens. But faith in Christ is a confidence. This morning, the type of faith that you have is paramount to you. It's paramount to the consequences at the end on Judgment Day. What type of faith do you have? If you're taking notes this morning, the title of our message is Faith Matters. Faith Matters. And we're going to continue in our study through the Gospel of John this morning, picking up in John chapter 12. We'll read the text together, and then I'll pick us back up in context of what's going on. If you'd open up to John chapter 12, 
11 verses this morning. I'll read through it, starting in verse 1. We read, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7, Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Wow. So if you've been with us week by week and going through the study of John, you'll remember last week in chapter 11, Jesus came and raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember how long Lazarus had been in that tomb? Yeah, to the point where they were worried he was going to be stinking, that there was going to be some smell of decay. And Jesus came and raised him from the dead. And do you remember the Jewish leader's response to that? Where they're like, wow, look, it's the Messiah. Not at all. They were worried about what Rome would do and if they would come take control away from them. And Caiaphas, the high priest, prophetically speaks, says, you know what? It's better we sacrifice one for the entire nation than the entire nation should die. But from that point on, they were determined to kill Jesus. They were going to come after him. We see this in John. If you look at the end of the last chapter, John 11, verse 53 and 54, it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. This is about 12 miles north of the wilderness area where he was. We know in Luke's gospel, he also gives us more detail about where Jesus was going during this time. Before Jesus comes back to Bethany, in chapter 17 through 19 of Luke, he tells us Jesus also goes to Samaria in Galilee. We also know some more details looking at the other Gospels in Matthew and Mark. They tell us this event in our text took place at Simon the leper's house, or Simon the former leper's house. And that's what this is going to occur, setting up this setting of what occurs this morning. Some of you familiar with the Gospel say, well, there was one in Luke chapter 7 of a lady who came in and also did something similar. That was a different account. Happened earlier in the year, happened at a different person's house by a different woman. So don't get Luke chapter 7 mixed up with the rest of these, okay? Completely different account. But let's start off looking at this setting, starting at the beginning of chapter 12. It says it's six days before the Passover. Jesus comes to Bethany, and that's where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, we read. It says they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Any surprises here so far? Anything that looks like pretty... The norm. We got Martha, who's always serving. 
and we got them eating, which is a common thing. And they're coming together and they're celebrating. Lazarus is alive. We know from chapter 11, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Jesus comes back into this home and he reclines at table, leaning down on his elbow at the table, how they would lay and, and eat and, and fellowship together. And this is the context of how everything is going to play out. This act where Mary comes, and as she had before, the worship of Jesus. We're going to see this play out this morning in three categories of faith. Three categories of faith this morning. One, we're going to see genuine faith. Church, this is the one you want to be in before you leave today. Genuine faith is saving faith. Genuine faith is the one that you hear on that day of judgment. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter my rest. Come on in. You're welcomed here. The second category is counterfeit faith. This is the one that looks good on the outside, might deceive others, but it will not and does not deceive God. It is the one that will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And much like that, the third one is just no faith at all. Those who completely reject the claims of Christ. So let's look at this this morning together. The first one, looking at genuine faith. Let's see what Mary does in, in John chapter 12, verse 3. We read, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So we're going to see three characteristics of genuine faith from this act of Mary. The first one is genuine faith changes your worldview. You know, so many of us are so caught up on security. We're so caught up on finances. We're so caught up on the things of this world. Genuine faith changes that viewpoint. Mary, we see, took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard to anoint the feet of Jesus. Now, this is a Roman measurement. We would think a pound in our, our measurement is 16 ounces. It's actually 11 and a half ounces, a little bit less than what we would have. And it comes from the farthest northern hills of India. So it's imported, which makes it very expensive. So that's what makes the value of this. It's imported fragrance. Matthew and Mark also include that the flask that she had it in was an alabaster flask. It was an expensive flask that she ended up breaking not only over his feet that John focuses on, but starting at his head down to his feet. She gives everything she had. She pours it out upon Jesus. So when the Scriptures tell us an expensive ointment, in your book, what's expensive? What does expensive look like to you? Someone said, wow, that was an expensive dinner. What price range would that be in? And they said, wow, those, cl those clothes are expensive. Or that house is expensive. What That word can be translated all kinds of ways or interpreted lots of different ways. Here we read, it's expensive. You look down at verse 5, when Judas speaks, he says the value is about 300 denarii. That's about a year's wages. So think about a year's wages. That's some expensive perfume. My goodness, are you kidding me? A year's wages? Now think in your own life, I mean, maybe some of you have savings. Maybe you have some kind of like little nest egg that you're saving up so you can enjoy it in retirement. This is what she has. That's like her net worth right there. 
and she brings it to Jesus. One year of wages. Just, I'm going to pause. That's insane. One year. My question then is, as I look at this, and I, I ask questions of the Scriptures as I'm reading them, what would cause somebody to do such a thing? What would cause somebody to give up their net worth and just pour it out on somebody? I heard some good answers. Pure love. That's amazing love. It's an amazing kind of worship. It is a worship that comes from genuine faith of understanding who Christ is. Look, couldn't she have been like, this is really expensive, but I really love him, so dabble, dabble, all right, cap it up, let's, let's bring it back. I mean, let's give him a little bit. I really like him, I love him, he's awesome, but surely not the whole thing. She breaks it open on him and anoints him from head to foot. Genuine faith will change, radically change your worldview. Mary didn't care about her worldly security. That was it. It was right there. She didn't care. She didn't care about worldly comforts. She wholeheartedly should worship unto the Lord. Wholehearted devotion to Jesus. In other terms, she was all in. She was all in. You know, sadly, there are a lot who, who go half in here and half over here. I'm kind of into following him. I'm kind of into following me. That's not genuine faith. Genuine faith is all in. Mary is the example of that this morning. Paul the Apostle spoke of this when he said this, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Paul the Apostle says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What's more valuable? What's a greater treasure than Christ? For those who have genuine faith, he is the greatest treasure. There is nothing greater. Second thing we see about genuine faith is that genuine faith also changes your view of self. It changes your worldview, but it also changes your view of self. We see that Mary gets down and she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, if you know anything about foot washing, you know it's the lowliest of jobs in the Jewish customs, reserved for the most menial slaves. And she gets down to do that job to wash the feet of Jesus. You know, something else can be easily overlooked. In order for her to wash with her hair, she had to let her hair down which in that culture would have been interpreted as somebody who was promiscuous, someone who, who is indecent, someone who was immoral. Mary didn't care what people thought. All she cared about was loving on Jesus, about worshiping Jesus. She didn't care what others thought. That's genuine faith. She only focused on humbly worshiping the Lord. Matthew gives us some more details in Matthew chapter 26, verses 9 through 13. We read, for this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. That's Judas' words. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. 
Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Guess what's happening this morning? Exactly that. Mary is our example this morning in our sermon. Because of what she did, Jesus said, look, leave her alone. What she's doing, it's going to be told around the world what she has done. Absolutely amazing. Her view of herself had changed because of her relationship with Christ. Knowing him as Messiah, as the Savior of the world, she knew of her own unworthiness. She knew the need of a Savior. She knew she didn't deserve the grace or the mercy that was offered to her through Christ. Jesus, for those of you familiar with the Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus started with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This perfectly defined Mary. She was humbled to be known by Christ. She was humbled before him. She knew she had nothing to offer. Thus, she clung to him in absolute worship. And some of you say, well, wasn't that nard something to offer? Do you think Jesus needed that? You know, it's interesting because in the custom of the day, when someone died, they would go put perfume on them and wrap them with spices so that the body wouldn't smell so bad when it began to decay. Interestingly enough, Mary is the one who sat at Jesus' feet, and she would listen to what Jesus said. And here she comes anointing him, and Jesus says, she's preparing me for burial. Amazing. First thing we see about genuine faith this morning is it also changes the views of others. Changes the view of others. So first, changes the worldview, my own worldview. Secondly, it changes the view of self, and it also changes the view of others. You know, it's interesting that, that John gives us a little tidbit in here as he describes it. He says that after Mary does this, he says the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. This would be a statement of, a, of an eyewitness. It's like, man, the whole house was filled with this aroma. It affected other people what she did. People saw it. They also enjoyed it. They got to be participate in it. Her beautiful act of worship towards Christ not only affected Christ, but it filled up the entire room. Everybody got to experience it. Her wholehearted act of worship definitely affected those who witnessed it. Let me throw this out there. When someone has genuine faith, their actions towards others are observed by the world. People see it, and people are affected by it. There is some reaction when there's faith in action, there's some sort of reaction. It's not always a good reaction. We see that with Judas. Judas's reaction wasn't a good reaction. But for others, they could be encouraged and strengthened in the faith. We know we're exhorting Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, to stir up love and good works in one another. Guess what? When we see our faith in action, one before another, we stir up each other to love and good works. We see it before each other. Say, well, how do I do that? Unabashedly worship Jesus. That's what Mary's doing. She's not worried about what others think or what others think. She puts Jesus right before her, and she worships Jesus. Let people see you shine. Let them see you shine. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 16, he says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and not pat you on the back, 
not tell you what an awesome guy or gal you are, but give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Genuine faith is faith in action. Genuine faith changes your worldview. Everything you thought was important, everything that you valued before, all of a sudden, now what you value most of all is Christ. All the things that you treasured before, now your greatest treasure is Christ. Changes the worldview. It also changes your image of self. Remember, when you come into this world, you think you are the greatest on the planet. Everything is about me, myself, and I. But through genuine faith, that's transformed. Our heart's regenerated. And now the focus is on Christ. It's not about exalting self. It's about exalting him. And genuine faith changes the view of others. That as it's lived out, others might see Christ in you. You leave in a sweet aroma of Christ wherever you go. Second point we have this morning, the second category of faith. You need to perk up your ears. It's counterfeit faith. This is a scary, a scary category. Counterfeit. Has anybody ever seen a counterfeit bill? I would venture to say that all of us have and didn't know it. Follow me? Most of us have. We've even used it and purchased things with it, and it slipped by because it looked so good, it got through. And counterfeit faith can do the same in this world, but it won't in the next. Next comes judgment. And there's one who can see through counterfeit faith. So let's read the text for this, starting in verse 4 of John chapter 12. We read Judas's response to what Mary had just done. It says, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So let's talk about counterfeit faith. First thing we see about counterfeit faith is it looks genuine outwardly. Like others that see it looks good, just like that bill, it looked good. Genuine, excuse me, counterfeit faith looks genuine towards others. Look what, look what Judas said in, in verse 5. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Is that a good statement? How much was that, that nard worth? That flask of nard? A year's wages. How much good could we have done with that by going out and giving that to, to the poor? of helping to support the poor. Man, that sounds like a great outward act. Go and help the poor. You know, this may look like Judas had a genuine concern for, for the less fortunate. It sounded good. It could have provided so much. I want you to think about Judas. For those of you that are, are, are well familiar with, with scriptures, think about Judas. Did Judas stand out anyway from the other disciples as we knew he was going to be the one other than Scripture telling us that he was going to be the one to betray Christ? I mean, it was like Jesus said, hey, you guys, go over there and heal people. And Judas like, nah, I don't feel like doing that. I'm going to relax over here. We don't see that ever. He did everything the rest of them did. It's kind of scary. He looked the same as everyone else. All the disciples going out and doing things on behalf of Christ, he was one of them as well. 
doing the same things. He looked the same outwardly, but definitely wasn't the same inwardly. Take, for example, what occurred at the Last Supper right before Jesus was arrested and, and subsequently crucified. John chapter 13, this will be the next chapter. John chapter 13, verse 21 to 25. We read that after these things were said, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. What? Surely there had to be something in Judas's life that when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they all go like this. Right? You would think there's got to be something that Judas, oh, come on, we know Judas is going to betray him. We know there's got to, at this point when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, they look at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. Verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, John speaking of himself, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? We read in the other Gospels that they kept asking, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Church, are you getting into counterfeit faith? It's crazy to me that they don't all just suspect Judas. Like, man, I knew it from the beginning. That guy was a little different. There was something about the way he followed Jesus that was different from anybody else. I mean, he even had a little chip on his shoulder the way that he did. No, nothing. He looked outwardly just like the rest of them. Is it I, Lord? That's what they asked. It was a counterfeit. Second thing we see about counterfeit faith is it hides sin. Counterfeit faith hides sin. In verse 6, the beginning half of verse 6, it speaks of why Judas made this uh, statement of, hey, this should have been used for the poor. It says he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He had a little secret sin that nobody else knew about except God, but none of the other disciples knew. The guy who carries the, the, the money bag is stealing. It's his secret sin. He's helping himself. Does it make sense why he wants to help the poor? Hey, let's put a year's wages into my little side bag here that nobody else knows about that I'm just taking what I want. Well, no wonder it was such a great statement for him to say, hey, man, there's actually more to that. He's probably really upset they didn't do that. A year's wages could have come to him. So counter, counterfeit faith, it's a facade. It tries to look good outwardly, but inwardly it is corrupt and it's evil. It hides sin. Think about that. Looks good outwardly, but inwardly is corrupt and evil. This is counterfeit faith. Towards the end of the sermon, and we've read this before, Jesus says one of the most alarming things at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. One that if I had hair on my head, it would stand up. Right. But I don't. But for you that do, tune in your ears. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Stop there for a second. Are they addressing him correctly? Yes, Lord means master. He's the master of all. 
Lord, Lord. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, if you've got your Bibles open, look at that word, many. It doesn't say a small few. It says many. These are people who have a counterfeit faith. They think, look at all that I'm doing. Look what they're going to say. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And that sounds pretty good to me. Sounds like they're doing a lot of stuff. And so did Judas. Judas was part of that club. Jesus responds in verse 23 and says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Saying, although you had all these works on the outside, you looked all righteous on the outside, inwardly you were full of corruption and wickedness. You lived a life of hiding and pursuing sin. That's what he calls them. And says, I never knew, knew you. Church, may that never be spoken of to any of us. Counterfeit faith is so dangerous. We can be so deceived by saying, but, but I did this and I did that and, and I gave money to the church even. My goodness, what else do I need to do? Genuine faith is trusting in Christ alone. It's faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. And genuine faith results in all those actions. But it doesn't start the other way. Counterfeit faith is about putting on the outward acts. If I could just do enough outwardly, then I think I'll be okay. We could fool others, but we can't fool God. And this word many here. Many on the day of judgment will peer before Christ and they will have a counterfeit faith. They'll have a counterfeit faith and it will be worthless before Jesus. It'd be worth nothing. All they had done, all the outward acts are worth nothing. When he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Third thing we see about counterfeit faith is that it's completely focused on self. The core of it is self. You know, there are those who will even respond to the gospel. Why? Because someone says, do you want to go to hell? Well, anybody in their right mind would say, of course not. I mean, I mean, if they're deceived to think there's going to be a party in hell, that's folly, that's foolishness, it's ridiculous. There is no party in hell. It's torment, it's suffering. Yeah, gnashing of teeth we think of. That's not good. So anybody in their right mind when someone says, do you want to escape hell, would say, of course I do. And then they say, well, just believe. Okay, cool, I believe. And they go about their day doing what they want to do, and there's no transformation, no change. There are a whole lot of people in our country like that. Do you know that we're known still as a Christian nation? Hello? Do you know that we're still known as a Christian nation to other nations of the world? They would look at the United States and say, oh, that's a Christian nation. Really? So, so far in our categories, what type of faith would America display? If anything at all, it's a counterfeit type of faith. And it is a faith that is focused on self. It is not Christianity. It's another form of selfism. It's about me. It's adding something else to the bag to make me feel better about me. Judas, we know, helped himself. 
the latter half of verse 6, the guy who had the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Helped himself. That's a sign of counterfeit faith. Someone who's only focused on themselves. They haven't been transformed by their faith. They're still focused on the me, myself, and I. Look, it's only through the transforming power of the gospel. It's only through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. It's called regeneration, where we're born again, where the Spirit of Christ now dwells in us, that you're going to see genuine faith. Apart from that, if I just go, you know what? I don't want to go to hell. Well, that's a smart thing. None of us should want to go to hell. But that does not mean you're saved. It's a smart conclusion, but it doesn't save you. Only Christ can save. You have to be freed from the power of self that only comes through regeneration through the power of the Spirit. Those who have a counterfeit faith are still in bondage to self. Their motive is still self. All the way through, it began with self and it ended with self. Instead of Christ beginning it and Christ finishing it, they're trying to begin it and they're going to try to finish it. It's counterfeit. It's worthless. Jesus made it clear about those who would follow him. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Wait, what? The first thing is to deny yourself? Why? Because the counterfeit faith is all about self. Genuine faith is about turning, repenting, and turning to Christ. Turning to him, he says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Guess what? My pursuits are gone. It's now the pursuit of Christ. It's no longer my will be done. It's thy will be done. That's a transformation. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What a word to those who have counterfeit faith. Then you're trying to look good on the outside, but you're really just trying to save your own life, your own pursuit. Jesus says, you're going to lose it. It's going to come to an end. And there will be judgment at the end. He says, instead, forsake it and follow me. Come to me now. As we talk about these categories, the last one is the most outlandish, and it's no faith at all. So we had those who have genuine faith. We saw Mary who would worship unabashedly at Jesus' feet. Then we have those who have counterfeit faith like Judas, who would look like everybody else, play the part, but would hide sin, who would be all about self, but look good outwardly. And then we have those who just simply reject all claims of Christ. As we look at our final verses this morning, I want you to hone in on the chief priests. When we speak of the chief priests, I want you to hone in on them this morning. Starting in verse 9, we read, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Stop there. Do you think it would be a sight to see a man who was dead for four days and now is alive? Absolutely. Verse 10. The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Poor Lazarus. I just got back. I mean, what, what's the deal? Right? I, I'm all cleaned up. And here we go again. And then the other part of my mind goes, 
you guys are fools. Jesus just raised him from the dead. Did not think he could do it again? It's like, what are they thinking? But here they come. And the first thing we know of people that have no faith is they don't even consider the claims of Christ. They just push them away. They don't even consider them. Look at all that Christ has done. All the works that people would say, no man could do what this man is doing. He must be from God. There is no way someone can heal the way he's healed. There's no one that can feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. There's no one that can heal the blind, heal the lame, bring people back to life. They have seen all of these things. They've heard all of the claims, and they don't even consider them. No faith at all. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Church, somebody who rejects the claim of Christ is without hope, zero hope. They must come to Christ. They cannot go through life and just hope on that final day that somehow they're going to barter with God and it'll be okay. That somehow there's going to be like this, this goodometer, this scale they step on and say, did my good outweigh my bad? No, it did not. Because your sin has disqualified you. Your sin has set you up for the wrath of God. It will not go that way. Christ is the only hope. Those who have no faith, also the second thing we see from those with no faith, is they attack Christ. They attack Christ. They attack everything about the claims of Christ. If, if you turn on your TV, Channel 7 or whatever else, you're going to hear the latest news of how Jesus really didn't die on the cross. He faked it. Really, because they were there with cameras and the investigators were on the ground. No, because those who have no faith will attack Christ at any means. They'll come at him. Jesus said this is why in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. He said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. He says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. It's that Christ. I want nothing to do with him. Look, here's the crazy thing that, that people reason out. And maybe someone here this morning is reasoning the same thing out saying, you know what, Christ, I don't believe it all. I don't believe what he's done. I don't believe the, the history of what's recorded about him. Do you know why they'll come to that conclusion? Because if Christ isn't real, if God isn't real, then they feel no accountability for what they're doing. I can live however I want. In a sense, I'm my own God. Sounds like an option, but the sad thing is they're going to give an account their lives before a holy and righteous God. And they're foregoing the only hope in this world. No faith also results in attacking those who follow Christ. Not only does it attack the Christ himself, but it attacks those who follow Christ. If you're here this morning and you have genuine faith in Christ and it's evident to those around you, guess what? Expect people to attack you. Expect it. 
If you come here this morning and say, man, I've been a Christian for 20, 30, 50 years. No one's ever attacked me. I would say stop and examine your Christian walk. Because if you have genuine faith and you're living like Mary where it's unabashedly and you're worshiping Jesus, there will be those who hate the light and they'll attack you for displaying it. Just like the chief priests, they're coming after Lazarus. They're coming to put him to death because he testifies of what Christ has done. John chapter 15, verse 20. Jesus says this. He says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Guess what? If you're a follower of Christ, they're going to treat you just like they treated him. So we're not to be surprised when the fiery trials come upon us as if something strange was happening to us. But just as they treated my Lord, they're going to treat me as well. 2 Timothy, Paul tells young Timothy this. I wonder if Timothy was encouraged by this. As maybe some of you would be discouraged or encouraged this morning. This is what he tells young Timothy. In chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Is there a might or a maybe? No, he says, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, just as they came after him, they're going to come after you as well. This morning, we looked at three categories of faith. Genuine faith, a counterfeit faith, and we also looked at no faith, just flat out rejecting the claims of Christ. Church, the only faith that saves is genuine faith. The only one that you should even be concerned about this morning is genuine faith. If you have genuine faith, you don't have to be concerned about the other categories. You're like, man, I didn't get down all the notes. Don't worry about it. If you have genuine faith, you don't have to be concerned about the other ones. But if you don't have genuine faith, you should be concerned about everything. This is one thing you cannot get wrong. You cannot get your faith in Christ wrong. Now, we've heard it before. You can get a lot of things wrong in life and still be okay. You can't get this one wrong. This one has eternal consequences. So the question this morning is, which category does your faith fall into? Is it genuine faith? Is it where you worship Christ unabashedly? You're not worried about what people think. He is all. He is everything. He is the greatest treasure. Or are you working really hard to make it look good on the outside, but internally it's still about you? Are you just putting on a show of, you know, I want to be a better man or a better woman or a better father or a better mother, and it's all this better me? That's a counterfeit faith. If the pursuit is just the betterment of you, it's still about you. Genuine faith is about Christ alone, about exalting Him. Church, you cannot get this wrong. You have to know what type of faith you have. It's a huge question. It's a huge question. The answer has eternal consequences. Jesus said this. He said in Luke eleven twenty three. 23, he said, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There is no neutrality when it comes to Christ. You can't be in the middle. You're either all in or you're against him. You can't be kind of a Christian. You can't have like, I got a little bit of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. 
Genuine faith is all in. He is the greatest treasure. So put yourself at this position this morning. It's judgment day. What does Jesus say to you? Holy smokes for some of us, that's a crazy question. It's judgment day. What's going to be said? Here's the crazy thing. Judas was in a group of 12. That's a close-knit group. They spent life together, and yet none of them knew that Judas had a counterfeit faith. Do you think by chance in our group here that there might be somebody who's deceived to think this outward expression of faith is good enough? It's going to get me there. Do you think that's a possibility? I do. It doesn't mean you're being more unloving or less loving or whatever. It just means it's possible that your faith is superficial. It's counterfeit. It's not genuine. It's still focused upon you and not upon Christ. So what will Jesus say? Will he welcome you in? Or will he say, depart from me? I never knew you. There's two options. You know, there might be somebody in here that even has dismissed the claims of Christ altogether. Well, may this reality hit you. There is no other hope. Christ is it. Christ gave himself in your place, paid the penalty for you so you could be forgiven, so that you could enjoy and glorify God forever. He's the only way. He's the only hope. We read in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus. Jesus. So for us, it's come to Christ. Come today. Come now. Repent and receive Christ. That you don't say, well, I hope it'll bid well for me on Judgment Day, but that you would know, that you would know that you will receive him that you would have assurance of your salvation. It's not a crapshoot. Don't throw dice and hope something goes out well for you. Jesus came to say, come to me. Receive me. And those who do, there'll be genuine faith. They'll be transformed by the Spirit. There'll be an action that comes out of that faith that is different from what they were before. We see Mary here. In our text this morning, unabashedly worshiping Jesus. She could care less about the value of what she had or her net worth. It was Christ. She could care less what people thought about her when she put her hair down and, and uh, cleansed his feet. She could care less what they thought. All she cared about was Jesus. That he was the greatest treasure. He is the greatest treasure. Jesus said this in a parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Do you know Christ like that? Is he your greatest treasure? Is he your everything? If he's not this morning, turn to him. Receive him like that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to teach us through your word. Thank you for your spirit that would draw a man and woman unto yourself. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who would give himself for us, who would take on our penalty, 
that we might be forgiven, who in turn would give us his righteousness, that we might be the righteousness of God. Father, we started this morning with just talking about the gospel, that it could be packed into a simple statement, but it holds so much truth, and that truth must be responded by faith. Father, I pray this morning that you would reveal to anyone in this place who is deceived, anyone in this place who has a counterfeit faith, I pray in Jesus' name that you would show them that it's counterfeit, that this morning they would turn to Christ, they would repent and turn and receive Jesus and only Jesus, that Jesus would be the author and finisher of their faith. Father, for the rest of us, may it be that we have found the greatest treasure, that we would go and sell all just to have that treasure, that we'd be invested and unabashedly worship Jesus together for your great name's sake. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.